Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We're coming with the dopest topics, the raw's opinion, while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On episode two of season two, we'll be pulling back the curtain on the origin of Black Wall Street and much more. Press was popping. Man, man, I'm good, brother. How you feeling over there? Man, every day I'm waking up COVID-free. I'm I'm blessed, man. Man, let's keep it that way, man. Keep wearing the mask and washing your hands and everything else, my guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. <laughs> hey, you can't go nowhere without putting that mask on, man. People, hey, people getting get, getting stabbed and shot for not not uh for being told to put the mask on. Man, it, it, so it was funny. So this this past week I was on a business trip. So I was out in um Indy and uh this poor lady, man, I think she probably just forgot, but she walked into the lobby, you know, around the area where you were checking in and she had a mask on, dude. It was like two people, man, in the lobby, which is like, ma'am, ma'am. Like, I was like, woo. I was like, man, you better put that mask man. on. They, they was about to pull up on her, bro. Man, it's serious. It's man. serious, but rightfully so, man. <laughs> rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, because let I me mean, look at here in Chicago, man, we're seeing uh, these new cases. I mean, we're at all time, you know, high um, dated back to the beginning of the pandemic, man. So, yeah, t- to your point, man, you know, it's rightfully so. I'm just, wh- you know, it's funny how, well, not funny, but it's it's crazy how it, it should have dropped off in the summertime. Or we're rounding the corners or this and that, and we still, this thing been going on since what, February, March, early March or whatever? I'll tell you this, uh, Jules, and you probably know this just like the audience, but we were starting to make some impact with those numbers when people were actually staying at home, uh, when different things were kind of like, you know, shut down a little bit. I think as we got a little lax with everything and with the certain person that's in office that was basically, you know, telling people that, you know, everything was cool and that we were <laughs> rounding the corner. I think <laughs> I think a lot of people, we, t- we took our foot off the gas with this thing, man, and I think that's when the numbers started to, to spike back up a little bit. I mean, that's just the way I see it. I um, I know personally, man, I went through a long period where I wasn't like seeing friends. I wasn't seeing, uh, you know, family or whatnot. But then gradually I started, you know, maybe going to, you know, a parent's house or going to visit, you know, my brother. Mm -hmm. And and I I noticed I was like, you know what? We're starting to get lax with this thing. And I'm sure if, you know, with I was doing that kind of stuff, just imagine, you know, everybody around, you know, people probably started going on vacations again and and traveling and going to parties, you know. So I think that might be a part of kind of what we saw. Yeah, I think as when the summer came, it was like, yeah, you know, we, we've been in the house all all fall and winter and stuff like that. And it's time just to get loose. And people, kind of, yeah, like you said, get lax and like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this. 
So yeah, people going on trips and and hey, if you drive up and down these blocks, man, people have barbecues and the yep. parks be packed and stuff with people, you know, playing basketball or soccer or or you know, just hanging out. I mean, and I, I don't know. I think I think a lot of people just just tired of it and just want to get back to kind of some some um doing things, you know, how they used to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think we all are, but at the same time, uh the way I see it, man, because I'm kind of stuck in the middle of that. I mean, Jules, you know, man, I usually t- travel, take 10 to 15 trips a year, bro. I haven't gone anywhere, right? So for me, this has been extremely hard. But at the same time, you know, I think that a lot of us, we have to, you know, I think it's selfish when we're just worried about our own individual uh, fun and not thinking about like the greater good. Because when these numbers are going up like this, that means that somebody's in the hospital because they've contracted this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And in most cases, mm-hmm somebody could die. And that's kind of where for me, like I kind of uh, pulled back a little bit, but I will say this, this has been a tough year in the sense that this has been a lost year for a lot of people, right? Because you got a lot of people right now that are being forced to to stay in the house or you have parents that are now being forced to not only work from home, but now they have to homeschool their kids, right? Um, We're seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, situations where relationships and marriages are under strain now because people aren't used to people being at home that much, right? So there's a lot of things that are going on. And then mental mental health is also another thing. So there's a lot of different things that are, you know, going on when it comes to this COVID situation. Ooh, it changed. Yeah. Changed changed society. Changed, man, changed the way of living and stuff like that, as you said, man, because now people ain't working. Like everybody cooped up in the house, getting on people's nerves. Of course, you know, disturbances and crimes and different things are going to go because people all all over each other and don't have an outlet to go in. You know, people like to go and have fun, go take trips and or drink, go to bars or shoot pool or bowl or wherever the case may be. Right. They're outlet and stuff. So, yeah, man, we just got to dig in deep and kind of, you know, we'll get through it and just just got to weather the storm here. Yeah, we definitely do. Because, uh, I mean, when you look at Illinois, uh, the virus hospitalizations, uh, they've hit 3,000 visits uh, for the first time in, in the last four months. I mean, dude, that that's when I look at numbers like that, I'm just like, man, this thing is spiking again. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I think that's why your boy JB uh, went in and, and put those restrictions on the restaurants and bars. Man, what did you think about that when you saw JB do that one? So when I, when I heard that, what he implementing, I think it's only for what he going to try it out for a test period for two weeks. I, I believe I read that. Right. I think but, he's going to do it for two weeks. But didn't he say that the first time? And then it ended up going like going for months? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But see, the bar industry and the restaurant industry, they can't, they can't suffer that. They can't take that hit again. No. You know, they just getting back or on the way of getting back to, you know, making some money, some profits and stuff like that and have people come in. And then you get shut down again. Man, I don't think they can sustain that. Man, life would say there's some there's thing you can you can do far as uh fill out for a grant to kind of kind of help you, but I don't know, you know, the, the amount of bars we have and the money they set aside for this will that be enough? I, I, I man, it's 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 a it's a rock and hard place because you want people to work because not only you give an outlet to the people, but you got restaurant these owners got staff and stuff, and let's be honest, people need their money. They're relying on that that bar that or that restaurant to get you know to get paid and stuff so they can take care of their business. Now yep. if they're closed, what are they gonna do? I mean, fill out right. for unemployment or or what? I, right. And I mean, we see that the stimulus money is dried up for people like that in those right. situations as well. Um, 
I, you know what, Jules, I, I agree with you, man, because when I look at that, I see what JB's trying to do. But I guess my issue with this is it seems like he's putting the blame solely on restaurants and bars. Um, and it seemed like the mayor kind of pushed back on him. And she says that she doesn't think that that's the case. She kind of points to the fact of these gatherings that people are having with their friends at homes and, right. and things right. like that. And I think that that may be part of the the issue here is I think that the restaurant and bars are being unfairly uh, categorized as the blame of the spread of these uh, infections. I think shutting them down a second time or restricting them, it's going to be uh, catastrophic for these. I mean, we saw how many businesses were lost and they never came back. And I'm not thinking about like these huge chains. I'm thinking about these small mom and pop spots, uh, Jules. Mm -hmm. Think about the places like in our old communities, like Limbs and all these places that were staples, man. They, 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 these people cannot uh, stave off another uh, shutdown in their business or restrictions oh. that are, you know, that are basically almost in a sense, you're forcing these businesses to make a decision to close or to let people go. Because at the end of the time, what's, what's the alternative? Because if right. you have to close your business at a certain hour, if you can't have people inside your, you know, your business, what if you're not set up to do outdoor dining? Because a lot of places aren't. You know, we're seeing these tent things that are being set up now, but these businesses are doing that. But what if a business isn't set up that way? Now they're just shut down. And then you get some people, these owners, talking about they ain't shutting down. I saw that. I, I saw, <laughs> they I saw that. Yeah. They, I think they tried to file a lawsuit against the governor. I think he got turned down. But I think a lot of them yeah. said they're just going to do what they're going to do. And I heard that the police, and you can let our audience know if this is true or not, I think they mentioned that they weren't going to enforce uh, any of their, no. the, uh, the places. Okay. No, no, we ain't enforcing that because, first of all, it's their right. You know what I'm saying? That's their business. How are we going to come in and give a fine or lock up the person for being open, trying to make a living and doing that. Like, we're not doing that. It's, it's hard out here, man. It's real mm -hmm. hard. And the thing about it is, these restaurants and bars, they're going to be the most impacted by, you know, this decision to do all this because Jules and, and our audience and everybody out there, these businesses have done everything that's been asked of them. They mm -hmm. did the extra steps with the sanitation. I mean, Jules, you and I, we we went out a couple of weeks ago and had lunch. Yep. You saw the way they did everything at that restaurant. Mm -hmm. We had a certain number of time that we was able to be there. They came over and told us, okay, you guys been at this table for 90 minutes. You know, you got to roll out. <laughs> yeah, move on. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hey, we go. Yeah. <laughs> One lady, little smoke, man. Yeah, that lady said, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get the hell up out of here. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. to that but to that point, though, I mean, you could, we saw firsthand how these restaurants were doing everything that was asked of them. The social distancing was in effect. You know, everyone were wearing masks. And we even saw in certain places uh, that we've gone to where these businesses uh, installed these air uh, infiltration stations where they can filter out and get fresh, clean air in. So that's another way of just making sure that the air that everybody's breathing in isn't going to be an infected type of situation. And these things are expensive. It's like $3,000 mm. for every one of those chambers that a business adds in. So you think about that. Oh, wow. Think about that, Jules. If you as a business owner who you've already lost a shit ton of money this year with the first uh, you know, spread of the, of the virus, you come back, right? And then now you have to do all these different measures that cost more money. <laughs> and then now they tell you, okay, indoor banning is yeah. done. Is if indoor, That's indoor? That's unfair. It's unfair. Um, mm hmm I just kind of feel like at this point, I can understand and I understand where those restaurant owners are coming from. Okay. For Illinois, there, it, yesterday it was over six or a couple of days ago, over close to 7,000 new cases and 37 deaths yesterday. Okay. So 
we're spiking out of control here. Get it. I got it. We got to do something. Okay, fine. But to put solely the blame, like you said, on the restaurants and bar industries, yeah, it's unfair. Because no matter what, like you said, the the bars and restaurant industry industries are doing what they're supposed to do. And I don't see nothing wrong with you coming in with your mask on, people taking temperatures and stuff like that. There's ventilation and stuff. People are are spaced out. So they're doing their, 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 their part. So I think me personally, you... We have to do better as far as uh, people in general on um, being unselfish and, and keeping your mask on. If you're sick, to stay at home and stuff like that. And just, just these things are just common sense, though, man. And it's I just think common sense. That's a hell of a point, right? Because there's so many people out here that are selfish. Oh, the mask is uncomfortable to wear. And, you know, you hear all the excuses. Guess what? We all feel the same fucking way, but wear your fucking mask. Just <laughs> right. Just wear your mask, wash your hands, don't don't dig in your eyes and nose and stuff like that. Something you're not supposed to be doing anyway if your hands are not clean. And if you're not feeling well, stay away from people. I, I it's not rocket science. I mean, I know it can be difficult, but it's it's simple. Because people's selfishness is costing lives. And in the case of these mm-hmm. restaurant and bar owners, it's costing them money and it's costing a loss of jobs because mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing, uh, Jules, if we have another extended shutdown of that indoor dining for these restaurant owners, they're going to have to lay off people again. Everybody's got to do their part, man. That's all. I, I can't express it enough, man. I mean, it's not just one one person or these group of people or, or that person or this village or this town or something like that. It's just like the whole, the whole damn fucking uh, uh, universe here, the planet. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I... I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, man. This is another thing, too. So I was driving through uh, the West Loop yesterday, right? And I, I was seeing that these uh, restaurants, they created, like I mentioned earlier, those little outdoor tent areas. And so they're mm-hmm. trying to create a way to think outside the box and allow people to still be able to, you know, go out and eat in like a tent type of uh, atmosphere. And they got, I saw tons of like propane tanks and, and things like that. Yeah, so they got those, to keep- those heaters out there. But now you got to think about that. Now, that's even more money that these restaurant owners and businesses are are, um, <laughs> are investing to just be able to service customers. Yeah. You know what, man? Man, big shout outs to them for, for thinking outside the box because they're trying to keep their business going and try to keep their people uh, employed. You know, and they do them by, uh, by all means, whatever they can do on their half. Now it's time for the politicians and governors and mayors and lawmakers. Hey, man, come on now. We got to come up with a, a better solution here. Yeah. And I hope JB saying uh, this trial period, if it's two weeks, man, I, I hope it's just two weeks and not this, you know, he make an executive decision, say it's going to be longer. Yeah. I, I hope that also too, he's working with, uh, with the health officials and they really are looking at this thing the correct way. And they do, you know, come back and say, okay, guys, it's been a couple weeks. You know, we can allow you guys to have it. But you know what? You got to have the infiltration systems. You got to have all these different measures in place, which is fine. Because, Jules, as you know, and any of our listeners across the world uh, probably assume about Chicago, November and December aren't patio weather months in this city. Mm -mm. (laughs) Hell no. That Hulk over there by that lake. Ooh, my God. (laughs) I, I don't care what kind of bubble tent you setting up, bro. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no. I tell you, I tell you, one person who ain't gonna be out there has me, <laughs> Jules. <laughs> no. uh, prayers right there with you, man. I'm, uh, uh, 
And I like to eat. There's going to be a lot of deliveries here. Yep. Oh, man, DoorDash about to get all that money. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say, too, uh, they said that uh, the, the public health official, she when she was doing her research, um, she claimed that uh, 64% of the people that had tested positive for the virus had been to a bar or restaurant um, in the two weeks uh, you know, before the diagnosis of being positive for COVID. But my question to you, Jules, and, and, and this is something I want our listeners to think about, just because that's the case, is that where they actually got infected? Right. See, that's the thing. This virus, you don't know where it can be affected. A person probably have the virus, show no symptoms, thinking they're good, never been tested or like that, can pass it to somebody, and they're infected. This thing is complicated. So, to, to, mm-hmm. like I say, the, the evidence is lacking on, okay, just because those numbers are in at being bar settings or restaurant settings doesn't mean that's where they got it from because it's, what does it take, three days to even know or, or a week or something like that? Right. See, if you know, if you, if you did, if you did test positive, it's a little misleading. Yeah, it's misleading because a lot of these business owners, uh, business owners this year, they're not going to make a profit. And my question is, how come the airline industry hasn't been uh, tackled? Because if, if we're now going to blame the, the restaurants and bars, well, what about airplanes? You're not social distancing mm-hmm. on the airplane. Even though on Southwest, I know they've eliminated the middle seat, but you're still not social distance. Oh, man, I like the middle seat, too. You like the middle seat? <laughs> yeah. I like sitting up there in the middle next to that wing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you like, okay, I get you. See, me, I'm, I'm more of the aisle seat guy, man. I like to be able to, you know, kind of stick that left leg out when I can. Oh, yeah, man. You need that room, man. But yeah. see, man, I always be getting bumped. As, I know we're throwing off the subject, folks. But, you know what I'm saying? I know that aisle, man, they be bumping you and stuff. That cart be coming, you man. Yeah. But it's you cool. Know what, that, that, but you know what? That's because your shoulders are too big. So I don't have that problem. Now. I, I just do a, I just do a quick little turn in. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Shit, they, they ain't got no chance because your shoulders take up half of the damn yeah. hour. Uh, yeah, you're you're right, man. You're right. But you know, but uh, back to your point, man. Dr. Allison, man, that's her name. Smart woman, brilliant woman. I think she's from born born and raised in the Caribbeans or the Bahamas, but she speaks speaks Spanish. Man, yep. this girl, he is bad. She's smart, but, you know, you know how politicians do sometimes, some of them. You know, don't want to be, they don't want to alert or try to try to get people, they want to keep everybody calm and stuff like that. But her saying, you know, from the bars and stuff like that, I mean, yeah, it's it's a little, it's a little misleading. And then um, I think, uh, I, I think we should, when we find out this test and stuff like that, if it's a two weeks of what uh, JB want to do and stuff and see how the numbers look, then we can come up, we, then we come up with a, a, a conclusion on where, you know, where the majority of the uh, virus or people getting infected come from. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm just, like I said, to my original point, man, a lot of these small business owners, man, they've invested their life savings, pensions, 401ks, and other retirements mm-hmm. just to keep the doors open during this time. And my thing is just heartbreaking for me to think about these people who have given basically their whole lives to have something, right? We We talk about you know, a lot on this show about people building things, right? Well, these people are trying to build something. And it, it, to me, you know, we have to make sure that we're protecting individuals like that because this thing, we don't understand a lot about what this virus is, but if individuals are taking all the steps that are basically being recommended to them, then I think that we still need to figure out a way to protect those business owners as well. Well, man, Jules, a lot of stuff's been going on this week. We saw that the Supreme Court, we, we got a new nomination, so they snuck that one in. Uh-oh. What'd you think about <laughs> that, bro? 
Hey, you know what? I I don't know what to think about it. I mean, I had to when they want to bring in when um Trump want to bring in Amy Cooney Barrett. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, who's this lady? Well, we know about it and stuff like that. And I know one thing: she wasn't very popular with the uh, with the Democrats. No, no, she wasn't very popular. It ain't like that, you know. They want to they want to respect it. Uh, well, the first thing that that was a uh, problem that uh they talked about was uh, the late great RBG, Ruth Bader G- uh, Ginsburg, was talking about you know wait till her riches was to wait till there's a new president to elect her. Uh, somebody else that you know, to come in to take her spot. Right. And, and, that's, and that's what should have been course, done. Yeah, of course, Trump, you know. What can you do, man? He's the president and stuff like that. I don't think there's anything in in writing to say that have to be. You know what I'm saying? So what are you, you going to do about that? Yeah. You know? I, I'll just say this, man. Yeah, he did definitely did not respect her, her dying wishes. When I think about this situation, Jules, I think back to 2016 uh, when the Republicans wouldn't even consider Obama's uh, Supreme Court nominee, uh, Garland. The reason that they gave for that is they didn't think that it was necessary for him to appoint someone because it was so close to the the election, which obviously Mm -hmm. was months away at that time. But they had no issue with basically pushing this nomination through weeks before an election. So for me, the hypocrisy of the whole situation and the timing of it, I think bothers me more than the candidate herself. Like my thing is I I still need to do some research on her and kind of get more of an idea of like the things that she's into. But I would just say for me, it felt political with the way that they forced her into the seat. Well, yeah, well, it is. It is. It's it's Trump playing is Trump playing chess because she's more conservative type of uh, 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 judge and him stacking the. It's six to three now, as far as uh, conservative and liberal type type judges on the Supreme Court now. So it is political. It is set up this way. Me, when I was looking at her, when she was being interviewed and stuff like that, I think because of what Trump was doing, it kind of like you said, it was this 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 stain on her where people where they didn't, didn't want to give her a chance, and it was kind of I was watching the interviews and it was being a little, it was being a little nasty towards her. I'm, I, you know, I'll say. They came for Yeah, her. they came for But she stood her ground. I ain't going to lie to you. She stood her ground and kept her composed and stuff like that. But I think she got thrown in the fire in a situation where she, you know, she had to be. Instead of, okay, what's this woman about? It was like they was already, they already had their, their judgment of her. And it was like, yeah, we don't want her because Trump wanted her and stuff like that. And we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna be nice to her, nothing, nothing in this case. And I thought I thought that was unfair, but I mean, hey. It's a tough world. It's a tough position. It's you know, but she she stood her ground, so it made me look. Okay, well, all right, what's what's going on? What's this? What's this about? So, did a little research. She was born and raised in, in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. It's a good town. I wouldn't mind. I can't wait to go back. <laughs> you know, she's the eldest of seven children. She came from a wealthy family. You know, her father she worked as an attorney for Shell Oil Company. So, I mean, she she come from she come from privilege. I mean, you know, hey, if you got it, cool. Her mother was a school teacher, French school teacher. She went to Rhodes College where she majored in English and minor in French, which is good. She was magna cum laude in her class. Not, not, to, be, art. not to be uh, confused with a Rhodes Scholar, which a lot of people thought at one point about her. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> you know, then she went, hey, good, hey, good, hey, 
Hey, hey, Prez. Hey, thanks for clearing that up, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she went to Notre Dame Law, where she graduated first in her class. And she got a doctor, summa cum laude. So the girl's smart. You know, uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, only time could tell. I know a, a lot of people are just don't know where she coming in from as far as Roe versus Ray, because that's the topic now. Will she overturn it where, where the government with to tell women on what they what can they do with their bodies? And this is a woman. I don't think she's going to side with that. Matter of fact, there was a a a, a report that, that came out saying that she that she was pretty much she's on the side of, you know, women deciding on if they can they can have abortion or not. That won't change, but she think the question on whether a late term abortion is the question, or how many restrictions can the cl- uh, can the clinics on doing abortion have? She says she think that will change. So yeah. I don't think she's totally against, you know, saying that's that Rover's way is going to be overturned. I, I don't believe. I, I don't, in my opinion, I, I I I highly doubt that. Yeah, I mean, I think that case and some other cases are going to be uh, in the timing of all this. Like I mentioned earlier, is what I. I'm still a little bothered by because you not only do you have that case that I think when I was doing some research, I saw that uh, Mississippi has recently asked the Supreme Court to review a state law that uh, bans abortions after 15 weeks. And what I think when mm-hmm. I hear that is that's a precursor for them to reevaluate uh, Roe v. Wade. And I just think that that's when we're going to start seeing the bullshit happening. Um, also, think about this. Pennsylvania, which is a swing state, they've also mm-hmm. asked the Supreme Court uh, to stop a state's court decision to allow election officials to count mail-in ball- ballots that arrive three days after the election. And uh, one of my issues with this whole election is that Trump has gone on record to kind of call the election into doubt. He's made his comments about, you know, the legitimacy of the, the election. He's called it to doubt the post office and the postal system. And right, right. when I see stuff like this, this to me, when we have the, ga- the games that they're playing now with the Supreme Court, there's some key cases that are coming down the pipes now. And now we see that these are things that are going to be voted on. And now we got a new individual on, the, on here that swings the, the pendulum a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that we have to, to think about, you know, so listeners, that's stuff that I really want you guys to be paying attention to, because when you think of the Supreme court, their rulings historically have always been rooted in the law. But now when you have these political moves that are being made, now it's like we don't know which way these decisions are going to go. And then that's when now when you have the highest court in the law in the land, we don't want situations now where that court system loses its respect in the history of of what it was based on. Right. Now all this will go all this will work if Trump win. You know, he got it lined up in his pocket, but what if he lose? So, so when he loses then that's when that's when shit's going to hit the fan. And I don't even want to see what that's going to look like. And that's why everybody's been out here on that campaign to vote, vote, vote. We talked about that on the last episode. And, you know, just make sure you know who you're voting for, whether it's federally or locally or whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I think that's why this election, you're seeing so many people out there because I think people see the writing on the wall. He's stacking those those, those pieces on the board so much Mm -hmm. in his favor. And like you said, he's playing chess while I would say some other people are over here playing checkers. It's brilliant. I mean, I don't knock the I don't I don't, I don't, I don't knock the player. You know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. My now my only question is for for the mail in. Now, if you're late with the mail in, dude, that should be it. After what 
after the third or whatever that was when when the, the is so the third you, after so third yeah, November. So you had so you had to you had to uh, mail it in fourteen days before, but they're saying yeah. that in some instances they were saying if it comes in because you know with the postal service is you know let's be honest you know people are sending stuff to people and it's getting there like a week late you know so that's I think why. Uh, some people were saying that those should still be counted so just because of the way the postal services work. But okay. but I guess to your point, yeah, I mean, just do it on time. You know, I, I sent my stuff off weeks ago. So yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna know, knowing right, because knowing this is the first this is the first that you you mail in ballot. I mean, you you want to make sure your vote your your your, your votes is getting there. Mm-hmm. So don't wait to the last minute. Yeah, but, you know, and especially but, if the the mailing system is 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 slow or is, you know something's going on with it, or that it's being tampered with. But you know that's or, another or, story. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or they get some, or they get some people who's who's driving those trucks that not real mail people, I right? <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're wearing you a red hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll find them. The, the news come out like a whole bunch of mail in ballots was. Thrown in in a river somewhere. <laughs> oh man, that'll be messed up, man. Man, but dude, nothing surprises me anymore. I swear, nothing surprises me anymore. But also, too, for people that haven't gotten their vote, uh, their uh, ballot mailed in, and they don't want to stand in those long lines. If you go online, you can find places in your local area where you can do the drop off ballot, uh, and you can do that up until I believe uh, Monday. So you know. Yep. Just make sure people that you are exercising your right and doing what you need to do, but educate mm-hmm. yourself while you're in the process of doing so. And then if it's too late, hell, you just got to stand in that line. <laughs> yep. Yep. Take, take that but L. No, yeah. <laughs> but no matter what, get that vote out there. No matter what. Yep. Um, yeah, man. Cause I, I would just say this, man, when I, when I look at this whole situation, this is Trump's third appointee to the, to the Supreme court. So mm-hmm. Jules, you know what, you know what it is already when you, when you see that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's already he, right. He's in. He's stacking the, the stacking decks in, in his favor. I'm play devil's advocate. Let's say it was. Let's say it was uh, Barack Obama or or another Democratic. Uh, pre- let's say Biden. Okay. Will he have done the same on stacking the stacking decks in in his order? Well, I think anybody uh, in their right mind, uh, when you have a, a position as a president, you want to make sure that you know you're aligned. Mm-hmm. Right. So you mm-hmm. would be you would be an idiot if you did it. Um, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think for me, though, is I look at this from the situation of it's just hypocritical that they wouldn't allow uh, Obama to do it. And it's just because he didn't have control. Right. And that, that just comes down mm-hmm. to making sure that you have things aligned politically because Obama mm-hmm. didn't have the numbers. You know, and so the thing about it is his person didn't even get considered. Trump's person, they pushed her through. And so for me, mm-hmm. like, to your point, uh, Jules, I mean, hey, man, it's all in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Well, well, we'll see what's up with, uh, I guess we can call it ACB, Amy Cooney Barrett. We'll see how she, she'll she do. And, uh-oh, what, what'd you go say? What'd you say man, first? They ain't gonna call her shit, man. <laughs> but i'll say this man the last thing that i had on this uh just something that just popped up but yeah just po- it just popped up in my head man i just i say uh with all the stuff that trump's been trying to do with the the 2010 health care law 
listeners, mm-hmm. just be on the lookout for something to happen with that. I, I just kind of feel like we may see some traction with that, with them maybe even trying to wipe that law out completely with healthcare. And I would just say uh, right now with this virus and, and things being up in the air as far as, you know, you know, a, a vaccine, the last thing I think that American people need to be worried about is having uh, health care uh, coverage removed from them. Right. So that's just something that's cool to get rid of that. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, you'll be a fool. <laughs> you know I mean, dude, again, what we talked about on the last segment about about selfishness. I mean, come on now. I know you guys, I know them guys up there in these positions, they can afford it. They good. Yeah, they millionaires. You know, I mean, yeah. But come on. Now, these government is government, you know, for and by the people and stuff like that. So come on now. You got to do right by this. You can't just have people just fend for themselves, man. But I'm, about to, I'm pretty sure they're going to tell you, well, we're just going to restructure. We're going to rename it. It's going to be the same. There's going to be some tweaks or something like that. But hell, shit. I mean, people, hey, they're they moving their seats. I'm talking, talking about getting uh, getting rid of uh, the affordable health care. Yeah, exactly, man. Having the access to uh, health care and health insurance, that's something that a lot of like me and you, Jules, we, we, that's something that we have, right? And it's because we're employed and, you know, we're covered. And there's just so many people out here right now that have had their jobs, you know, taken away from them, you know, just because of the virus and the industries that they work in have been affected. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's just for me, I just think that while a lot of people have their opinions of, you know, the healthcare plan that was put into law by Obama, I still think that having something versus nothing (laughs) is a better alternative, you know? And so, oh man, definitely. Yeah, man. But I would just say this, man, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, this nomination, you know, it, 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 it's going to it's going to paint a little bit of a picture into the future direction of this country when it comes to important cases. You know, as, as Jules mentioned with the Roe v. Wade, there's a lot of things that people just have to sit back and watch because there's going to be some things that are going to start happening in front of your eyes. And just don't be blind to it uh, because it's getting ready to happen. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh... And I just pray they do the right thing, cause in this day, this day, in this era, and these people, people ain't letting stuff go and taking stuff lightly. There, no. they, no. I mean, he's, they coming going. at you. People they are coming. Go- <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they ain't going, going man. <laughs> and you gonna talk about? Yeah, we're gonna overturn Roe versus Wade. Ooh, I'm getting, I'm getting out the way of every woman. Nope, uh, uh-uh. I'm getting out the nope. way. Nope. You start trying to tell somebody what they can and can't do. What they, uh, uh-uh. as soon as I see what I'm like, ma'am, I'm with you. Go get him over there. Right. Get get that right. guy with that red. You will get that guy with that red cap. <laughs> <laughs> I've done one thing. That brother better not have no bulls cap on. Oh, he getting. Hey, he gonna he gonna catch that heat too. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Jules. So, uh, on the last episode, uh, we talked about the digital bank that the Killer Mike uh, put into place with uh, Andrew Young and, and Ryan Glover. And that mm-hmm. digital bank was called Greenwood. And so yep, Greenwood. when we think about Greenwood and what all the Greenwood basically uh, encapsulates in this world, a lot of people forget about the history of the Greenwood district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and what that really uh, meant for the Black community, right? Mm-hmm. So in today's episode, we're going to do a quick backdrop on Greenwood, what it represented. And then we're going to start a two-part discussion on Black Wall Street and then basically how 24 hours of, vi- of racist violence destroyed what was built in, in Tulsa 
in the uh, in the early nineteenth uh, century. So, Jules, I don't know if you want to kick it off, but you know, we audience, we just want to basically educate you guys a little bit more on what this Greenwood district, you know, represented, and then just also to kind of just talk through just some of this because a lot of this stuff was missed in history. So we want to just make sure that our listeners can understand a little bit more about some of the early success that, you know, Black people had in this area of, of Tulsa. Oh, no, Chris. Hey, man, you, hey, you speaking good, man. You speaking good. Go ahead and kick it off, man. All right, my Sounding man. Sounding good over there, brother. My man. So the thing is, when when we look at this whole situation, um, following World War I, uh, you know, this area in, 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 um, in Oklahoma it was affluent, right? And uh, it was made up of African-Americans. So it was a community that was known as the Greenwood District. And uh, it was thriving, man. Um, the district, you know, had a nice little residential area um, that would later be called uh, Black Wall Street. It was named that by Booker T. Washington. And when we look at this situation, we saw that basically thousands of Black Tulsa residents had built up this self-sustaining community. And this community supported hundreds of Black-owned businesses, right? So in this situation, man, we're just going to pull back the curtain on how Tulsa's Greenwood District grew to become a haven for Black entrepreneurs uh, at the beginning of, of that century. You know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in that, in that, in that area was flourishing uh, huge oil industry, booming oil industry in that area. And it had a major uptake of, of Black sellers coming around at that time you know, moving and, and, and starting a new life there. Uh, one particular, uh, one person in particular, uh, O.W. Gurley, Ottawa W. Gurley, uh, in 1906, a wealthy African-American landowner, he had moved there. Well, he kind of, at first he moved a little out, the outskirts of it, 80 miles from Tusa, where he opened up a, where he bought a whole bunch of 40-acre land. He had some land and he was, he was a school teacher and, he was a farmer and he had a store and stuff like that. So he was, he was doing this thing. He took the blueprint from there and he moved over to uh, the Greenwood district and opened up, had acres of land. He had, had purchased and bought and stuff. And, and what he did, he not only purchased and bought this land, but he created something. He wanted to create some for black people to help other black people. You know, that was his, you know, that was his, 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 his thought when, when it was coming up by, you know, his story, uh, his story, I'm sorry, this author of his historian, uh, Hannibal Johnson related that. So, so, so girly loon money towards black entrepreneurs. So they can look and start their own business, which is good. I mean, I don't know, Prez, what, what do you think? Uh, the thing for me, when I think of Gurley, and I think this is the thing that we talked about um, on the last episode, this guy, he was a son of former slaves, and he was mostly self-educated in his life. And so okay. to my point that I made last week is the fact that whether you're self-motivated to do more for your situation or whether you maybe have somebody next to you that kind of maybe gets in your ear and is a mentor, well, this is an individual right here that saw the world around him and knew that he wanted better for himself. So that was the thing that I really loved about seeing this story for him, because you're right. He saw the racism in Jim Crow's deep South and said, you know what? I'm getting up out of Arkansas. And from there, 
You know, he educated himself. He was able to take advantage of that oil boom, as you mentioned, Jules, Mm -hmm. and then went out there to Tulsa. And so I think that that was really, really awesome because there was thousands of other people that at that time were going around to claim land because, let's be honest, that was all the land that previously uh, belonged to the Native Americans. Right. Um, But the federal government uh, made that land available to people that were settling. That's one of the things that I want our audience to listen to when it comes to this situation with, with Gurley. Um, because the thing is, what he did is when he claimed that plot of land, he then, in that land, created a local school, right? Uh, he had a, lo- a general store there, right? And mm-hmm. that is kind of where he originally got his fortune, and then he was able to take that and, and multiply it, right? And then that 40-acre plot of land that Jules, you know, brought up, that is where he and other Black entrepreneurs at the time all began to settle, and that's what the uh, Greenwood area uh, became. And the one thing is, too, like, like you mentioned, Jules, I mean, this was a vision that he had, right? This is a vision that he had that he wanted to build something for us. And when I think of today's times, a lot of us forget where we come from because a lot of that stuff has been taken from us and a lot of people have been brainwashed and, 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 you know, programmed and they don't realize they do come from greatness and that we are a people that have overcome a lot of things. And when I basically had learned about this black wall street situation, probably about four or five years ago, I was kind of angry with, uh, with the schools that I've gone to because this was something that I did not Mm -hmm. learn in school at all. I was was just about to say that. It wasn't until, I want to say I read uh, 1980-something that, I want to say 19, early 80s, I want to say that there was history on on this about the uh, Wall Street, if I'm I'm correct. Like you're saying, we're in school. This is the thing. We haven't heard about the the Greenwood District, the, the Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know what I'm saying? And what this brother did. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was baby steps. It was baby steps. Dude bought, he bought. A, a, a sexual land, had stores and stuff like that. He also had rooming houses, rental properties, hotels, uh, grocery stores and stuff like that. Not only a grocery store, but from his 80 acre and the outskirts of the Greenwood district, he supplied his own grocery store with that farm. This brother was before his time, man. <laughs> I mean, yep. and for us now to just recently just get into history and knowing the, 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 the behind the scenes on this, it's like, dude, what the, but you know what? Hey, let's be honest. It's something positive. It's something that you can, you, you know, it's some positive, it's something that you can do uh, as far as what blacks or, or anybody want to take something from this can do and better yourself. That's all. You brought up the point too, that you said that as uh, our people became, you know, less, uh, you know, segregated, right? That's when we started to see, the black community kind of splinter, right? We stopped working together. We stopped helping each other because at this time, Greenwood, what it represented to those people was a place to escape being oppressed, right? Whether that oppression mm-hmm. was happening economically, socially, or politically, right? And so this Greenwood district was an economy born <laughs> out of necessity. Um, and to be honest, Jules, it probably would have never happened or existed if it not were for the racist, uh, racism of Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Because I mean, you think about that, man, what that Jim Crow represented, man, was just the inability for Black people to participate in any sort of uh, a substantial degree of 
any sort of white dominated economy back then, because you got to think about it. We weren't basically eligible or we were turned down for, for loans. Right. So a lot of mm-hmm. what they did here in Greenwood was, man, these guys were all self-sufficient. They figured it out. Right. They went out there, they saw an opportunity and they grew. They were able to take advantage of the resources that were around. Them. No, you, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. And, and like you said, the, only re- reason why, because, right, you didn't have that opportunity where you can go to any bank and stuff like that and get a loan or get this mortgage or this land and stuff like that. So it's almost like you have to be self-sufficient and kind of do, you go, you on your own. You know, right. you ain't going to get no help or no handout on from, from anybody that's not looking like you. You, right. m- you might, you might get that one individual. You might, but that's a hell of, that's a hell of a odd. So with this right here, this, this Greenwood district here, what one man was able to do, one black brother was able to do and put on other people who ha- was like mine, uh, also like J.B. Stratford and stuff like that. He brought him up and other entrepreneurs. That was some excellent because of segregation and Jim Crow, where you, this is my, this is our land and it's all going to be black. All black is, is, like you said, schools, churches, dentists, movie theaters. You name it. They had it all. And it was all Black-owned. And that Black dollar stayed in, in that district and in that community. It did. And uh, one of the things, too, uh, and we, we talked about it in the last episode when it came to that the Greenwood Digital Bank that Killer Mike and company uh, started. And how that bank, what they wanted to do was they wanted to serve underserved communities and people, right? Well, Early in this situation, because he was so successful and built this Greenwood district up, he was then now able to loan money to other black entrepreneurs that were looking to start their own businesses in that area, right? So mm-hmm. those people didn't have to worry about going to those banks and being turned down, right? So this was to me was really important because it really helped to establish uh, Greenwood as a center uh, of black business and wealth. And that was really some of the early stages of black wealth that we see in this country. Um, and Man. to be honest with that, let's think about this. These people that would not have had that opportunity to borrow money from the white banks back at the time. A lot of these people wouldn't have been entrepreneurs, you know? So you right. think about the, that and we, how we talked about that economic gap in the last episode of the wealth gap, right? Well, in this time, and this is something that they don't teach in history, but we built a self a self-sustaining community. Right. That was all Mm -hmm. us (laughs) for us by us, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I still see people be rocking that stuff, man. I'm like, man, what is wrong with (laughs) (laughs) y'all? Oh, man. But, but, but no, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, bro. The only other point I had just, it is just something I just, I just thought about real quick was just, um, those black owned businesses were very necessary because you got to think about that in that time in Tulsa, Tulsa was very racially uh, divided, right? It was very segregated. So because Mm -hmm. that Greenwood district was like their own little area, they had everything that they needed within that area. So they had their own school system, right? And that school system, from what I hear from doing my research was a very excellent school system and it helped educate a lot of little, little young black kids, right? And the thing mm-hmm. about it is they had hospitals, they had law offices. I mean, they had everything that they needed. And I think that that was important because we had all the resources that we needed. 
And when you look at today's times, when you look at some of our communities that have been stripped down and is poverty stricken, that's not the situation that we see today. And that's what, you know, Jules and I was talking about when it comes to economic development and how we need to get back to that mentality of your girlies, right? Of your Stratfords, individuals that basically had that entrepreneurial mindset and went in and they built something and they created something. It's the blueprint. I'm reading this and uh, uh, doing my research. Man, this is the blueprint. And let's be honest, they had it worse than what we have it now. So we can, this right here just shows you, man, we can, we, we can do this thing, man. I mean, with what they was working with and what they accomplished and what they achieved and stuff like that was, oh, man, it's amazing. And by, in, in 1921, that Greenwood District was the wealthiest black community in the United States. Dude, in the United States. <laughs> I mean, it had 10,000 residents. Uh, like you said, they had all these different businesses and companies, schools and churches and, and hospitals. And not only they was owned by blacks, they was run by blacks. Yeah, it was it was you know. it was basically our it was our thing, man. And the thing about it is, you mentioned earlier about Stratford and how Gurley brought him along, right? Because mm-hmm. Stratford, when he came there, he basically had built, I think it was in St. Louis, from what I remember, uh, and he basically had a bunch of rental properties and, and whatnot. And so he was a wealthy uh black man, and he came down mm-hmm. there to Tulsa, right? And he built a hotel there. And it was the largest Black-owned hotel right. operated in the entire country, the, right? Dude, the biggest, right? Oh, man. And so when you think about that, this one community that was basically the picture of basically Black excellence, like right? We hear that so much now, Black excellence, Black excellence. That was the mm-hmm. original Black excellence, right? That is basically us all working together during that time, building something. That hotel was valued at $75,000 back then, right? And if you look at that in today's money, that's over a million dollars. Mm. Something that was just mm. created, created wow. internally, right? <laughs> wow. Um, and I'm, and another thing too, that, that community had its own public library, right? So when mm-hmm. we talk about that gap and the, the, the opportunity for those children to learn, they had everything that they needed at their disposal, right? And that mm-hmm. was really, yes. that, that community, I can only imagine how Tulsa and even the area surrounding Tulsa would have evolved for the black community if that area would have been allowed to thrive a little bit more because that area was all, it was just starting to come into its own, Jules. Uh, it, it's nothing, there's <laughs> nothing else you can say about this here. Uh, uh, people just smart, people just getting together and, and just set aside and, 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 and do things where, Hey, you know what? Let's do this where it helps our people out because of the conditions and stuff we going there right now. We need something to promote and support us, and we don't want for anything. So like you said earlier, they didn't need to go out into these other districts, these other communities, to get anything. Everything was right, right then and there. And if we was good in, in today's time, if we were going to have anything like that, that's the sign of, that we need that same mind, mind point right here and just apply it into the, in today's, today's environment. Yeah, man. Uh, I would just say this, man. When you think about that Greenwood and what it represented, it was modern and it was a sophisticated Black community. And so this is where we saw 
you know, the beginning of just our people building stuff for each other, with each other. And it was really, really amazing because you had a community of 10,000 people that were thriving. Not only were they thriving, but they supported Black-owned banks, restaurants, hotels, grocery stores, shops, right? So you think about how mm-hmm. we talked about in the last episode how that Black dollar today doesn't stay in the community, right? We mentioned that it's within six hours, that money is gone away from our community. Well, with what they were doing in Greenwood, because they were so self-sustaining, every dollar spent in that Greenwood district is circulated within that neighborhood 36 different times. Now, I I want people to think about that for a second. 36 different times in one community that basically created resources for themselves, right? To now, where we don't own our communities, that every dollar we're spending, we're spending outside of our communities. We're not reinvesting in ourselves. Six hours, Mm -hmm. our money's gone. Just think about that. That shit disgusts a lot of individuals and make people realize that we have to do better with building, with helping each other out, and stop hating on each other. Because this community that I see now, we have separated and splintered from our original. Back in the day, I remember my grandmother telling stories of how they would march with Dr. King, how they all Mm -hmm. were on the same accord with wanting things to be better for them. And which, if our grandparents, Jules, didn't do what they did, you and I wouldn't be in the positions that we're in, right? And I think that it comes with us to basically do more to make sure that we're making success for future generations. Like we said, we spoke about that on the last pod on how we want to leave this this world better than where we got it. Now, the our ancestors and stuff went through a lot, hell of a lot. Went through, I can't even fathom. But so it's us. To t- it's, it's our it's our job to take up the torch and, and move forward, stretch this thing even more. Now you got the Greenwood, this Greenwood district, and all what O O W and uh, and and, and Gurley and and Strapping and, and a lot of other entrepreneurs was doing. You know we have our you know uh, civil rights movement when getting rid of the Jim Crow and the segregation laws and stuff like that. You have the civil rights uh, issues and movement and stuff and people in, in charge of that. Now. It's our time to move this thing even, even further. And we have the blueprints from our ancestors and histories and stuff like that to do it. So to piggyback on what you said, we got to stretch this thing out. We got to be smart. We can't be hating on each other. We got to be, be methodical on this. And in order to, in order to, that our kids and kids' kids and stuff like that to have a good future, a better future than what we had. Yeah, man. Well said, bro. Um, I'm just going to do here is I'm just going to end this segment just by telling our listeners here. So you guys heard us talk about the creation of this self-sustaining community. We talked about briefly how this community was thriving, right? But on our next episode, we're going to basically talk to you guys about how this community was devastated and basically ruined and destroyed. And racist violence was on the rise at that time in the U.S., right? And I would just say this. We saw with the the Greenwood District within a 24-hour time period, everything that was built by that area was destroyed. And so on our next episode, we're going to pull back the curtain on the entire devastation that was uh, Black Wall Street and that Greenwood District. Uh, Jules, go ahead and hit us with that curtain call, brother. 
So this curtain call goes out to the GOAT. It's not Tom Brady. It's not LeBron James. But Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Jordan has been instrumental in opening health clinics in North Carolina. North Carolina has been experiencing an uptick in new coronavirus cases. These new clinics will help increase testing and reduce transmission within Charlotte's community. Jordan's partnership with Novant Health is helping to serve uninsured and underinsured communities aim the pandemic. The impact of the first clinic has been measurable. And if this virus has shown anything, it is the importance of having accessible, safe, and quality care in communities that need it most. MJ, we thank you and appreciate you, brother, because what we talked about earlier is a relevance of what you're doing right now as far as with the with O.W. Gurley, how he did with the Greenwood District, how he helped and promote other entrepreneurs. You're doing the same in your district on saving lives and helping out people who need it most. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Keep up the good work. Jules, thanks for that curtain call, brother. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.